0: One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now, Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's, it's just better. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Wu, your host. So happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do another one of the team-specific off-season previews, and my guest for this is Jared Weiss. He covers the Boston Celtics for CLNS Radio and Celtics Blog. I've known him for years, and Boston has a particularly fascinating summer for me just because they have so many moving parts, and they have a lot of assets, and what they decide to do with everything, especially now that they got the third overall pick, is really it's big for them, but it's also can be important for the league depending on how that happens. So we talked for about an hour 15, go in a lot of different directions. For those of you who are interested in specific topics, there will be timestamps in the description. So hope you enjoy it. Had a lot of fun talking to Jared. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: It's my favorite offseason tradition, of course.
0: The Celtics are just a fascinating team for me. And There are a lot of different angles, and we'll try to hit as many of them as we can. But I think where I want to begin is a more fundamental question, which is, where do you see this team in terms of their timeline? Like, should they be trying to win now? Should they be looking a couple years into the future?
1: That's what makes this kind of fun from my end, is that the Celtics are just one of those franchises where you really have no idea what their timeline is. I think most teams, like you can kind of clearly identify what path they're trying to take. The thing is, the Celtics... With Angel's plan is basically always be ready to immediately trade for LeBron James, and you're probably not going to be able to pull that off, but he's pretty much set it up that he can make almost any trade imaginable now, and he's done a great job of putting the team in the position where they have players that are still on the upward trajectory of their development pretty much across the board, so they can continue with the roster they have and continue to improve slightly, and you saw that this year... They improved pretty pretty decently from last year, and you know if they didn't have really their entire lineup decimated by injuries in the first round, they would have had a much better chance against the Hawks. But they're right now in a position that they could they could use their cap space if they let go of Amir Johnson and Jonas Terebko and let their uh, seventeen million total commitment uh, total combined commitment go during the off season. They already have the space to outright sign two max players and then they obviously have enough trade assets they can acquire at least one max quality player.
0: Yeah, it, it's really interesting, and at the same time, part of what makes Angel strategy work for the time being is that you don't have to be wedded to it until a decision has to be made. You know, it's like what I wrote in, when I did the Warriors, Durant piece, is like th- what's nice about their spot is they can do it if it if the opportunity presents itself, but if it doesn't, they don't have to blow it up. And Boston is in the same boat for the time being.
1: Yeah, and you know, Ainge obviously wants to cash in now, especially before the draft pick is made with that third pick that they have, but they there's enough options at the like kind of enough best player availables at the top of that or at the third spot in that draft that he really could draft a guy if he wants and just try to roll with them for as long as he can, and they still have enough assets left over that they can still make a big blockbuster trade. And the way that the roster is built. They can kind of trade away anybody on that roster, and they'll, one, have somebody that can already on the roster kind of step into that role, and two, they will kind of have a player that's attractive to almost every team in the league. They have probably, up and down the roster, at least one guy that any GM in the league would be like happy to make a trade for.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, and... The fundamental challenge of building a bunch of assets to theoretically trade for a superstar is that they're not often on the market. And we've already seen Vlade Divac say that DeMarcus Cousins will not be on the market for this year. And we never know exactly, of course, what that means. And the other guy, to me, to me, there are two real targets for that. One is DeMarcus. The other one is James Harden. But I don't think either one of them is going to be available this summer so you then you get into the, the issues of those assets becoming less valuable, but at the same point, you can hope that the players do well, and they're, of course, going to be on really good cost-controlled contracts for a long time.
1: I mean, first off, I have no idea why the Rockets would ever trade James Harden. I mean, I've, I've looked at that situation up and down, and I'm thinking, as Harden doesn't seem discontent with the situation and they're basically booting Dwight Howard out the door, and as we saw in that Jackie McMullen conversation that he had, they've made it pretty clear to him that it's James Harden's team. So why why on earth would they trade him? There's really it, it would be them trading him would be you're not going to do much better than what happened when they got him, where they let go of a couple of assets and only one of them was really worth it for Oklahoma. So I agree I, with I, I agree with I agree that. all
0: that. I, I think that it is. Definitely shaky. I mean, the reasoning is always that once you have a guy who's going to hit unrestricted free agency for the first time, you have to worry a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think unless he has already given them indications, which I doubt he has, that he doesn't want to stay, then you don't do it. That He's not at the Durant level where, you know, it basically takes him saying, I'm going to leave to consider trading him. But the next level down is pretty sturdy as well.
1: Plus, if James Harden wanted to leave somewhere, he would probably just mumble a bunch of uh, non-sequiturs, and then he would walk out the door, and you would have no idea what happened. That's just that's just how his personality seems to be.
0: Yeah, and you, you talked about the draft assets. They have five picks in the top 35, but the most interesting is number three. And why I find that pick so compelling is that, this is widely considered to be a two-player draft, and the expectation is those guys are going to go one-two. There are two, there have been X number of player drafts where, those, where one of the guys fell. That happens all the time. But being in the three spot at that point, especially if you can't find a, a trade partner for a bigger deal, one nice thing about it, and we see this in the NFL draft, the analogy would be for the first pick of the second day, probably, where You can say, okay, it's a very different thing to trade for this pick than for one and two, but here you can get whoever you want. And if Boston has a group of guys that they like about the same, they could always use that pitch to hope that some other team falls in love with a single player.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't see any guy at three that they're clearly going to fall in love with, considering that... I'd say maybe the best pro like the best kind of near future prospects at the 3 spot are probably Jamal Murray and Chris Dunn although obviously it's too it's probably too early in the process to really determine that and those are two guys that don't make a lot of sense for the Celtics considering who they have right now on the roster you know Marcus Smart. They're obviously not going to give up on his ability to be a scorer, even though probably every other person that watches the Celtics already has. And then Avery Bradley has uh, had you know pretty a pretty steady year improving his ability to be a perimeter scorer. Then obviously I think we all know Isaiah Thomas is one of the best players with the ball in the league now. So they're looking at as far as players that address a need: Dragon Bender fits that mold except that he probably won't be able to be that effective of a player for like three years although obviously we have no idea I mean look at what Porzingis just did um and then Jalen Brown but Jalen Brown is kind of in the same boat so it's there's no like best player available that also fits a need. it fits like a neat area for this team at the three spot
0: yeah there there isn't a Justice Winslow in this draft and even Justice Winslow with his shooting flaw would have been problematic when you already have Jake Crowder.
1: exactly and yeah it, it, at least they didn't trade those four picks because as much as I like Justice Winslow this year, and he, he looks like he's going to be really good. It's hard to justify trading four draft picks just to move up to pick one guy.
0: As long as, uh, and it was reported that at one of the Nets picks was involved in that. Like that would be the exception. If they could have given up four things, none of which were those picks, then yeah, sure. they're not, they're not high end assets. Then you're trading, you know, four nickels for a dollar. But if it's, you know, one of those, then that could become a lot more. and, one problem in that way for the Celtics but you know it's a it's a problem that can be solved by an opportunity is that i would say their biggest need is rim protection and this is distinctly not the best draft for rim protectors
1: i mean there's a bunch of potential rim protectors and they're all like 17 years old basically or <laughs> they they all need to put on 30 pounds of muscle like there's there's nobody that's going to be a rim protector probably even on his rookie contract you know, guys like Zizic and Joe Chi and Thonmaker, all these like super long guys and you know, Deontay Davis could be. Um but I, I'm not I'm not right now seeing anyone that you could bring in and expect him to contribute to Lopos defense right away.
0: I think Pirtle's probably the closest, but even yeah, him maybe. but even him I think it would take at least a year. But as the Celtics do with having this multitude of assets they also could get that player via free agency, and this is, I think, what's most important about the idea of timing because adding, let's say, adding somebody at the three spot and not saying these are mutually exclusive, but adding somebody at the three who, who you're thinking about in that way and signing somebody like Al Horford are two dramatically different timelines.
1: Yeah, and for one, if you're signing Al Horford, you're using one of those first-round picks to pick a potential three uh shot blocker that you think will be ready like four years from now because al horford is going to be in his 30s and he's while he is probably one of the four or five best low post defenders in the nba right now he probably won't be four or five years from now so that's why you go for a guy like zizic and you let him play in europe for a couple of years and then by the time that horford's kind of hitting that uh, end of the plateau that's when your guy that you spent the 23rd pick in the draft on five years ago is ready to be a good defender
0: and a good thing for Boston in this class, in the free agent class, is that there are a lot of guys who are capable rim protectors and a fair amount of them that even aren't necessarily so good that you have to pencil them as the starter. I think Biambo is a good example of that, but they're all going to be paid like their starters because it's something that is so important around the league.
1: For one, I've been in the Biz fan club for a few years now, so I'm very excited to see that he's being looked at as like a, well, like a double mid level uh, salary guy this off season. But whoever whoever gets him is probably going to overpay for him because while he's incredibly useful off the bench, he's gonna. You're right, he's going to get paid like twelve to fifteen million probably this off season, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, and so while it's entirely possible that you know Boston could engage with something like that, it, to me as somebody who's kind of off to the side of Boston. That doesn't seem like their M.O.
1: Yeah, and, you know, don't forget, Boston has Amir Johnson technically under contract. And we mentioned it before. They get two days before his guarantee date for his twelve million one one-year deal kicks in for this upcoming season. So they can hold on to him and then see if they're able to, you know, kind of, like, attract those Max guys and whether or not they need to cut him. And then, you know, they, they have the chance to make that decision. He was really good for them this year. He ranked in the top ten in most advanced uh, statistical categories measuring rim production. So And he was really, really good against Atlanta. He did a great job against Al Horford and at times against Paul Millsap, who kind of at times was like an MVP and at times didn't show up in the series. But with Amir, the concern is that he didn't play in the fourth quarter for like the first three quarters of the season. I think it was mostly to protect his ankles that are ready to turn to dust at any point. And they, I think that they probably wouldn't want to lock him up long term just because they're worried that injury could be a concern once he passes the 30 mark in a year. So keeping him for one more year might be the ideal situation to hold on to a good rim protector and a good rebounder to make that a part of your team next year and not having to overpay and commit long term to somebody or being feel like you have to draft somebody.
0: Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. One small correction I'll make is that, it is, as being a CBA nerd as I am, of course, is that while that is his guarantee date, that that's the date also that he has to clear waivers, which means that they will have to request waivers actually before the deadline, which is why so, that's a little bit hard.
1: But they have to request waivers at, what, like 11.58 p.m. on July 2nd, right?
0: No, they have to request waivers by that time on June 30th. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, because uh, because basically, and that's why you get this really funny thing. Like, because player a lot of players don't know this. So Jared Cunningham, when he was on the Cavs, he got congratulated when he got off the plane because they're like, "Hey, you you, you didn't get waived, so that means you're gonna be under contract." He thought it was another couple of days, from what I understand, because there is this weird thing. But but the more important salient point to this, why I don't think that matters, is that Amir Johnson and Drebko are worthwhile at their price. And so what that means is, in a a year that teams will be awash in money, is that it should not be a challenge for Boston if they want to use their cap on somebody, whether that be Al Horford or Biombo or whatever. If if they want to trade that, I think they'll probably, they could get a small asset. I don't think it would be, you know, maybe it'd be a pick around 45 in the following year's draft, and of course Boston has an army of those anyway, but... You look at these, the term Amino Hassan and I use is the Nene test, which is whether they're a positive or a negative. And to me, unquestionably, with the current climate, Amir at 12 million and Drebko at 5 million, those guys are net assets at that price point.
1: I mean, those guys fit most progressive systems. Jonas Drebko, he was pretty good this year and then he was phenomenal in the playoffs. So. $5 million is, like, barely above the veteran minimum for his age group, really. So he's kind of a no-brainer to keep unless you have to get rid of him because, hey, Kevin Durant decided for some reason he wants to sign in Boston. So it's it's hard to imagine Jarevko leaving. Amir, It's o- the only reason they would let him go is just because he cards up enough cap space that it could affect whether or not they could get the, that max guy. But he clearly lived up to his price point, and he took a risk by agreeing to that Contract and it worked. I think it worked pretty well for him because he, re- he really confirmed that his value was at least twelve million to the to the market.
0: Yeah, and the challenge is always with those kind of situations that when you have to move players quickly, which is presumably what they would need to be in, that you need to find the right the right thing. And in other years, that can be a big issue. The best example recently is the the Jazz extorting two first round picks out of the Warriors to clear the space for Andre Iguodala. But those guys weren't good. You know, they were clearing out. Andres Biedrens, who was dead money, and Richard Jefferson, who at that time was dead money. They weren't trying to do a guy like Amir Johnson, who a team will actually want to have. So that's one big difference, is the quality of player. The second difference, which is just as important, if not more important, is the volume of teams with space. So there will be teams, like, for example, the Lakers. Like, the Lakers probably, unless they get exactly who they want, will probably be sitting there with more money than they know what to do with. And the Lakers have an interest in keeping their powder dry for 2017 if let's say they're striking out for the most part so Amir Johnson or Jarebko those guys are perfect for them they're a one-year guy they're talented and you know maybe maybe that means Boston doesn't get much of an asset but if Boston is getting somebody good enough to dump those guys the assets aren't the major part of the equation
1: and I mean the Lakers have a lot of guys that the Celtics would be interested in but I feel like they don't have anyone that the Celtics are dying to get I mean do, do you?
0: No, I mean, it's hard because the Celtics have so many guys on roster, which is actually something that we want to talk about later, but we can talk about it now, which is that, by my count, Boston has nine players that are on guaranteed contracts. Then they have the two that we just talked about, which makes 11. And then they have Tyler Zeller and Jared Sullinger, who are restricted free agents, both of whom I think they would be interested in bringing back for the right price. And then they have Evan Turner. Like This is a team that had basically every single guy that was on their team last year is either guaranteed or is worth keeping, plus they have five picks in the first 35, three picks in the first round, they're in a little bit of a roster crunch in that sense. But of course, if, if the Lakers want to give you somebody that's worth getting, you don't face the roster minimum until the until right around the regular season. So you can add all those people and then just choose who you want.
1: Yeah. how it's It's really curious to see how long they can go on with the roster crunch. At some point, Marcus Smart is going to clearly break through into the starting lineup. He did for a while because Isaiah Thomas was pitching into the six man of the uh, the six man role, but obviously that part is over. And Bradley is really when he's healthy, at least, is definitely a starting two guard. So if Marcus Smart during the first half of the year shows major improvements on his offensive game. Then Ainge probably has to make a decision at that point if he wants to trade one of his guards and try to solidify the rim protection. Obviously, we have no idea yet because it, there's so much at play with what happens this off season. But the the roster crunches are he has he hasn't really dealt with it over the past year and a half. He's going to have to deal with it at some point.
0: Yeah, and you can deal with it with guys more towards the top, or you can deal with it more towards the bottom. We got Terry Rozier, who looked pretty good in the in the later run when he actually got some playing time. James Young, who has not looked pretty good during his time. I really like Jordan Mickey. I think that he's a talented guy who should be on this team long term, unless he's a sweetener that another team really wants in a deal that's worth it. But so you have you can make those those thinning out moves as well, and I think my instinct is that somebody else is going to give Evan Turner way too much money, which resolves that spot, but you still will need shot creation on the second unit.
1: Yeah. Everyone's assumed that the Knicks are going to offer him like $15 million. So the the likelihood is Turner's not going to be here. And I think Turner has been well aware of that, but he's Turner's made it clear that he would be very interested in a hometown discount because he's been so happy in Boston. And he's used almost every curse word I can think of to describe how much happier, He is in Boston than all the places that he's been that he thought were terrible. So he really wants to stay in a positive environment. I'm not sure how playing next to Carmelo Anthony as a ball handler that can't shoot would work for his game. But if he's going to get offered twice as much money to do that than to stay with Boston, then obviously that's a pretty understandable move. But Turner, I feel like, is going to attract big offers from mostly teams where it wouldn't be nearly as ideal a situation as he has in Boston where he's he knows he's a bench player but he is heavily relied upon and he he gets he really earned himself a huge fourth quarter role towards the end of the season and was a crucial player in the playoffs once uh, Avery Bradley went down.
0: Yeah, it's a very important balance to strike with that because Evan Turner from from what I can remember he's never gotten that big contract. So I mean, of course, a player, I'm never going to knock a player for prioritizing whatever they want to. That's that's their that's their prerogative. But it's as good a time as, as any to to make that cash-out move. And yeah, you might have to, to suffer for a year or two, but you can make life-changing money and you get that done. And then when you're a little bit older, then you can go back to Boston with your bank account set for the rest of your life and your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives. And so I would lean in that direction if I were him, but of course it's his own decision. But Boston, yeah, they have all these other assets. I mean, if they want to, they get shot creation from the second unit. As much as I don't love him as a primary guy, Jamal Murray is a really talented player. And you get him, he can fill that role for this year. And then if he does well enough, then he can become a part either of your rotation by moving Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart or Isaiah Thomas or by being combined with other people in a trade for somebody bigger at the deadline or next year.
1: That I mean, it's a really interesting... Proposition, And I've been watching Murray tape trying to figure out if he's going to be James Harden or not. Because I was huge on James Harden coming out of college. And I see a lot of similarities there. But obviously, Harden has like a deceptive explosiveness. Well, I don't quite really see that from Murray. And uh, Harden was definitely a lot tougher getting to the rim earlier on. But Murray has a lot of the similar skill sets. And he seems like he could, while he's not a really good passer, he seems like someone that could turn into a pretty solid passer. And if you put a player like that next to Isaiah Thomas and allow Isaiah to play off the ball, which proved to be really, really valuable when they were able to do that in the second half of the season in the playoffs, and obviously we see with the Warriors how good they look when Steph Curry is able to function off the ball, that would be huge for this team because Evan Turner has functioned as the secondary ball handler, and they're really good when they're able to have Isaiah playing off of the ball and Turner handling the ball. But the problem is if the team's able to stop Isaiah from getting to the ball, and then Turner is forced to shoot it, that's when things really go awry. So they're really badly looking for that second guy that could take the ball off the dribble from the perimeter and pull up from pretty much anywhere.
0: I also really like Jamal playing with Marcus Smart because Smart can dabble in the ball handling, but the bigger thing there is defensively. Jamal Murray is not great defensively, And but he can physically he can stick with either guard spot. And if you play Marcus Smart, who will guard the better guy, then Murray is guarding the inferior player, which is a much easier assignment. The parallel there would be actually what, more like what Mark Jackson did with Stephen Curry, where he would bounce Curry around to the easiest assignment, which is something that Steve Kerr moved away from, I think partially because Curry wanted to embrace the challenge and a lot of other stuff. But when you have somebody who's more of a clear negative on that end, especially as a young guy, that as a second unit combination would also really work
1: yeah and I mean, they did that a lot this year with Isaiah because isaiah he works pretty hard on defense, but he gets bowled over all the time. Any guard over six two can pretty much just dribble right through him. He does make some mistakes and help defense so they were able to use – Brad, a lot, especially lineups where they had Bradley and Smart out there at the same time and, of course, Crowder. They were able to just – they were they switched so fast and those guys are so ferocious getting into guys' jerseys that it actually worked out pretty well where you could kind of hide Isaiah Thomas in the corner and let him just kind of deal with playing the corner shooter. And so the, the Celtics from both a, a scheme point of view and from a talent point of view, they kind of have the tools to be able to get away with having a mediocre defender in one of the backcourt spots
0: and while we're talking about mediocre defenders we can move to the front court and a guy who I really like but they just need the right player next to him is Kelly Olynyk and oh yes Olynyk is a, a talent I think he's a, a very nice player but also is a huge part of this offseason in a way that doesn't isn't getting enough attention because he is eligible for an extension and it is very uh, very reasonable to say that it will be hard for anybody to come to an agreement this summer because they're going to see the money that is being thrown out there and say, I want some of that, and the Celtics, just like every other team, be like, well, if you want that money, then we'll wait. But having an idea of whether he will be a part of this team long-term does play a major role in how they think about, in my opinion, the power forward position, but on the aggregate, the, the whole front court.
1: They like him, and it's mostly... I think really it's mostly just that they like what he does in theory. And they kinda they tried to do that with Jared Solinger and it kind of that experiment came to an end because Solinger was shooting twenty-eight percent from the field or I'm sorry, from three, and he at a certain point was just disengaging offensively because he was just missing so many open threes. With a Linux, that seemed like it was going to be a little bit of an issue early on. And then last year he came out absolutely on fire. He got he got hurt in November came back in December, and then after a couple games, he just caught fire from three. And by the end of January, he was, like, neck and neck with, like, J.J. Redick and Kawhi Leonard for top three-point shooter in the league. It was incredible. Then he got – he subluxed his shooting shoulder, which he just had surgery for, and then that was the injury that reoccurred during the Hawks series that kept him out for pretty much most of that series. And he he was ever really himself after that injury. He came back a little bit. But he's a guy that – when he has his rhythm going with his three-point shot, and he's got this, like, flat-line drive three-point shot, and when, he, when, it's, when it's going in, he, he just kind of feels unleashed, and he starts to have the confidence to put the ball on the floor, to try to drive at guys and then kick and stuff like that. He's not a guy that's really sure of what he's doing out there. Like, he doesn't attack with aggressiveness. He just tries to find an opening, and then when he doesn't get the opening, it used to be that he panicked. Now he just kind of, like, searches for the kind of the out from the play. I don't know if he's ever going to be the guy that can get into the situations and then just try to continue to push forward, try to make a play out of it rather than trying to reset out of it. But they probably, one, they have kind of like a clear vision for how they want to add that to his game. And two, they probably have a good understanding for what his recovery will be this offseason and whether or not they feel that next year he's going to be fully recovered at least for the second half of the year and will be back to being like a 45 percent three-point shooter if they really feel if they're really confident in those two things then you definitely could consider making a contract extension offer because he could have a really good second half of the year and you could see with the cap exploding to 110 million almost uh, you, you know you could you could see his price going way up so He's the kind of guy that will, in theory, be really valuable under the current rule structure, considering he's seven feet tall, considering that he's kind of improved a lot defensively, where he, while he does get bullied really, really badly by kind of any power forward or center that has a bit of power and a bit of post skill, he's gotten pretty good at recovering, playing the pivots, stuff like that, defending the weak side. He's really good at kind of rotating over, getting his feet in position, and going straight up with his hands up and not fouling. So while he's always going to be physically inferior to pretty much everyone he's going against, he's starting to kind of slowly show that the mental side of his game really does make up for it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to like with him, uh, but one challenge, at least in my opinion with him, is that he is a player that, to me on a good team, is probably a high second unit guy, so maybe he's your third big, so he's your first one off the bench, but if any team offers him a contract like he's more than that, then the Celtics either have to match it or decline. And so they're in, you're in this spot where after, after this season, assuming he doesn't get an extension, where you're dependent on his market. But independent of that, based on what you've seen with him so far, let's say two or three years down the road, do you think he's more of a first unit guy or a second unit guy on a good team?
1: He's like he's a first unit guy when he's playing next to like a DeMarcus Cousins or something like that. When he's playing next to a gravitational force that can hand that, that he could that can be the guy that you send against the brutes on the other team because you know if a Linux stuck playing the five without another really tough muscle guy that can handle a post up player, handle a hard driver like LeBron or whomever, if they don't have that other guy starting next to him, then that's when they're really in trouble because he's just he's just not he doesn't have the upper body strength to be able to handle anyone with real power. So if they can put him at the four next to a really powerful center, or if they can put him at the five and they have some other really powerful guys out there, I think you could, the starting lineup idea could work, but otherwise he's like a six man of the year candidate. You're using him like Ryan Anderson.
0: Yeah. And Anderson is a guy who, who has had those struggles in terms of whether you start and restart or bring him off the bench. And Olenek, I, I like his passing, overall like I think he can be a, a more positive offensive player you think about the idea of something we're seeing now in the playoffs something you saw last night is that when a player is involved in when a player is involved in screening for the ball handler they have to be ready to get the ball in their own hands and take one or two dribbles and make a good decision and there are power forwards in this league and centers who have very different capabilities and I think he's on the better end of that right now and can get better with time
1: I mean, they want to be able to use him offensively. Really, they just want to run the Warrior system. They want to be able to run a 1-5 pick and roll with him and Thomas or Smart. And you feed him the ball when the defense tries to trap the ball handler. He takes two dribbles in, the weak side defender rolls over, and he just kind of flings a pass to the shooter in the corner, Jay Crowder, uh, whoever, Harrison Barnes, if they want to try to max out Harrison Barnes, whoever it is. That's what they really want to do with him. He has gotten to the point that he can kind of make that play but you just watch him out there and you just see him a lot of the time he looks tentative he looks a little worried about taking contact his movements are still a little too deliberate or like they're kind of easy to read and really smart defenders can read where he's going or what he's trying to do with the ball and they'll kind of give him just enough space that that they can collapse on him right when he's trying to pick the ball up and put it in his hands and then he ends up trapped so there's a lot of things he needs to improve on that this offseason recovering from a a shoulder surgery on a shooting shoulder, it makes you really worried that he's not going to be able to work on those issues. So it could be something he really has to develop through the first half of the season. And I'm not really trying to make any judgments on his his continued progression until the second half of the season next year.
0: That's certainly fair. And something that I've been grappling with, and, and I think you're a good person to talk about this because you could be you're you're more objective about this than some in, in the area, is how real how optimistic are you or are you optimistic about Boston's ability to bring in max level free agents?
1: Uh, So, I mean, I, I just speaking from a personal point of view about the city of Boston, which is, I think definitely a big part of it. I've talked to players, one that you as a Warriors uh, reporter have talked to very frequently, which I'll tell you off the air. um, They still know about the legacy, the very outdated legacy of Boston's problem with racism. And it's something that really ended about twenty to thirty years ago. But play, you know, some guys they don't know they're not really well educated on the subject. They hear one thing and that's what six of them. So I've had players tell me that they wouldn't be interested in coming to Boston because they think it's a racist town. And I'm sure everybody saw that white guy mass hole, uh going at Jaleel Okafor earlier this year that Okafor ended up beating up, and they think that's what the city's like for a young black athlete that's huge and stands out. So that will deter guys, and there are guys that I've talked to that have told me that that would deter them from interest in coming to Boston. Now, I think most people could have a sit-down with the Celtics, and they could probably be alleviated of that concern pretty quickly, but obviously you can't get every single guy in the door. Boston, as far as like a city that's attractive for young people, they've made a lot of improvements where like people actually like coming here for nightlife and eating and social life and all that kind of stuff. So it's no longer like a dry city that players aren't interested in. And then as far as the franchise itself, I think Stevens and Angels reputation is pretty sterling around the league now. Every single player goes out of their way to gush about Brad Stevens as if they're like asking for Brad to make a pitch to have them sign for him. Um so that's a huge draw. The Stevens draw has is very very real and the Celtics their organization has been so steady over the last 15 years or so. And so many teams have just had such prolonged misery. You look at the Knicks, you look at the Kings, all those teams. There's a lot of teams out there that players just don't want to have a sit-down with because they just don't have faith in upper management. And Boston has just had such a continued history of consistency and continuity with their upper management that it really, it really makes a lot of people feel confident that they know that the direction that they're pitched is the, direction, the, the, the actual thing that they're going to be along for the ride for.
0: Yeah, I think I think that you summarized it well and what is unfortunate for Boston in my opinion is that they're getting this space at a time when they're they're going to have more competition than before. And in some ways the best thing that could happen to Boston unless of course b- excluding Kevin Durant coming, which is, you know, that that's something very different. Would in some ways be if they could be patient enough to have it go another year because what happens is when you're competing against a lot of different types of things, then you you all that really matters in free agent recruiting is that you're number one. You know, if, if the, the Celtics will get in the room for just about everybody, and they should. They deserve to. But getting that one spot requires you having the right combination of everything. And I think they're a little bit short of that this year just because of the amount of, of offers that could be on the table because everybody has cap space except Cleveland and the Clippers. But their brand is not going to be weakened in a year or two So if they can just help that and be judicious about it, and that's part of the reason why I still really like Amir Johnson there, they can do that. But it is going to be very hard for any GM, much less Danny Ainge, who is shown to be a little bit, you know, a little bit ready to ready to fire at this point to do so.
1: Well, so the big thing that Danny has in his arsenal is job security, because he's like he's one of the few GMs in the NBA that has a lifetime contract where his soul, as it goes through reincarnation throughout the history of time, will continue to have a lifetime contract with the Boston Celtics. He's not gonna he's not gonna go anywhere. He'll retire when he wants to, and he'll hand the reins to either his son, who's uh, one of the senior executives there, or Mike Zarren, who probably will get pried away at some point soon because he's like one of the most popular assistant GMs in the NBA. But I mean, Danny has he doesn't have any pressure to make it happen right away. Yeah, you know, the owner Wick Rosbeck, goes public all the time, promising things like fireworks and they're going to make a big splash and all that stuff because he wants to rile up the fans. And Danny is a lot more cryptic in the types of messages he puts out and things and th- things that he says in press conferences that try to show the. That- He's working his tail off, and he's trying to promise something big for the fans, but trying to manage expectations so that the fans don't freak out when Kevin Durant doesn't leave Oklahoma City this offseason after, hey, maybe he wins the NBA championship. And, of course, I definitely want to get your take on Durant after we finish this conversation because I don't see any reason why he wouldn't re-sign for a one and one deal with Oklahoma, but you're the expert on that subject. But so Ainge... He doesn't have to do anything technically this year. The only the only thing that kind of expires and loses its value is basically just taking an actual player with all the draft picks that he has, because obviously you want to trade a draft pick before it's actually made, so that you're not limiting who's willing to trade with you because you took a certain player. So that's really they could draft. They could use all their picks that they have. They could take a bunch of draft and stash guys. One rim protector that they can try to stuff in there, and then some sort of long-term potential star value player at number three. They could do that if they wanted to. It frankly makes more sense to package their picks since they have so many. But he doesn't. He doesn't really have the impetus to make a move until really next year.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely something to be said about that, and that would be my mentality if I if I ran the Celtics. And I, I'm hopeful that he goes that way because I think that's what's best for the franchise. The one scary part of that for Boston is that once you hit the summer of 2017, Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas are both unrestricted free agents after that year. And while you do get the benefit because of how cheap they are right now, that if they want to come back, they have low cap holds and that would be a nice thing depending on where this all goes from there. You, I mean, you're getting into a very real spot in terms of those guys getting properly paid.
1: I don't think both of those guys are going to stay. It, obviously it depends on what happens with Smart in year three. You know, if he doesn't make any improvements offensively, then it becomes a lot less likely that you that you want to match a, a big offer for him and he hits restricted free agency or even extend him a contract extension. But if Smart turns into, like, a pretty good point guard and he's able to kind of finish in the paint, which he really hasn't been able to do so far, if he makes those strides, they're going to try to get him to signing a contract extension. He probably won't do it because considering the, the, uh, the cap space that will be available for him on the restricted free agent market. But... They're gonna to have to move on from Bradley Bate or Smart uh, or Isaiah. They're only gonna be able to keep two of those guys when everybody needs to get paid. And Isaiah, I mean, a huge part of his value is that he's making less than the mid-level exception right now, and he's an all-star. So that's been like this incredible story for this team, as well as Jake Crowder, who's actually locked in for the prime of his career at less than, than the mid-level exception. And he's a guy that could get maxed out by a bunch of teams. So you know, their era of low-value contracts will definitely wane a lot for them. But they could, if they have all that cap space, then they could bring in guys that are even better than the guys they have right now. Because right now, they're stuck with a bunch of really good guys that put together, as Jay Crowder called it, makes one superstar. But this is a league where you need two superstars, right? So if you have a collective group of one superstars, you're still going to need another guy to really put you over the top.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you that at least one of them will will probably be gone. But I I really do like the guys that they have. And most of them if not all of them Isaiah is the one that worries me a little bit are on the right side of the age curve you know like even if they will even if they're close to their prime they'll they'll be fine for the next couple of years at the very minimum and so you can pencil them in and you don't think they're going to fall off a cliff which is very very valuable when you think about teams like Let's say, as weird as this is to say, you know, maybe like Cleveland or a couple other ones where you don't necessarily know, or the Clippers are actually the best example of this. Like, you don't know if two years from now, those guys are going to be even close to as good as they are right now. You hope so. You always hope everybody's going to age well, but you never really do know. And they have enough assets, Boston again that if you go best player available which is what they should do because you know they, there's a very narrow group of people that I would bend the best player available rule for and Boston doesn't have those guys for all the strengths they have and if one of them is at a position that duplicates one of these guys and that player is better then you find find a move and all every single guy that Boston has on the, under under contract right now is a net asset it's you know unless you unless you're really really low on maybe like James Young
1: which I am and yeah. I you're right.
0: So, but that what that means is that if you if you want or need to get out of somebody, you know, if you want to open up space for Marcus Smart, if you want to open up space for whoever they drafted three, you can do that.
1: Yeah, and by the way, James Young, they're gonna. I think at this point, I mean, they're gonna. He's gonna probably have the summer league if he doesn't get traded before then. But unless he, me, unless he really, really knocks it out of the park at summer league, which he hasn't even really come close to in the past, uh, they're they're gonna try to get rid of him because he just. He just hasn't done anything on or off the court for them to to really beat out the guys they have ahead of them. And you know, don't forget they have Rogier now, who is kind of doing everything that they want James Young to do. And then R.J. Hunter has shown a lot of promise to be you know really good uh, shooter off the bench in the next couple of years. So James Young, it's pretty much the end of the road for him.
0: Yeah, I was really high on R.J. Hunter uh, when they drafted him. I you know I, th- I thought it was kind of a destiny thing that he was going to go to the Warriors at thirty. Um, but you know the, the Celtics took him just a little bit earlier. And the other guy of the young, cheap players on the Celtics, so we're excluding Marcus Smart because he's a a tear up He was, of course, a a high draft pick. Jordan Mickey is the most interesting to me because I love his defensive potential, and he's offensively capable enough. You know, he's not—I don't love him offensively, but he does enough there for his defensive side. Could he be a rotation player as early as this coming season?
1: So if any if any listeners have no time nothing to do on their hands right now, you can go to my timeline and search Jordan Mickey, and you will see that half of my tweets are basically put Jordan Mickey in the game, play Jordan Mickey more minutes because Jordan Mickey, even when he was going up against second units and not third unit, you know third unit garbage time units, he was like just as effective. He was really really good, and I thought they should have been playing him instead of Tyler Zeller for their end of the second unit or uh, garbage time unit for the entire season. I have no idea why. Stevens wasn't playing him over Zeller. I think it was mostly just to try to keep Zeller happy because this year was a pretty miserable season for Zeller. We're going into his contract year. He was basically taken out of the rotation. And he's a, a solid player. He just didn't fit the need for this team this year. But Mickey is already... A pretty good and pretty smart rim protector. He's a he's a really good shot blocker. He's only six eight, but he's got a really good vertical. And he's got a good wingspan, so he plays like a six ten, six eleven guy under the rim. But he's a really good shot blocker. He's got a great eye for the ball. He's a smart player that he doesn't bite on upfakes nearly as bad as you would expect a second round pick in his rookie year to. He's going to be a really good defense. You know, kind of like a. I mean, not not the same level, but he reminds me a little bit of Biombo with the potential for him to be a guy that they bring in off the bench for like 15 minutes a game this year and he just goes out there and he makes a bunch of great plays at the rim and he has a few nice pick and roll plays. He can shoot out of the uh, out of like a face up post up from 10 to 15 feet. He hasn't really done it much at the NBA level, but he did it a lot in summer league and preseason and he showed that he could hit a shot off the he, he could probably hit a shot off the glass, but he's pretty comfortable shooting from like 10 feet out out of the triple threat. So maybe we'll see that at some point this uh, this upcoming season. But he's a guy that's definitely competent enough, and he's a really good athlete that he's he should be getting ten minutes a game and being kind of like their backup center or third center on this team.
0: Is he going to play summer league? From what you know,
1: uh, that's that's the word that I've heard so far. But it, it, there's nothing confirmed yet. But I really want it, him to. Yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't. I mean, he's in. A, it'll be a second off season. He should be playing summer league for them, and he'll probably be one of the best players at the summer league. If uh, that's what I'm expecting,
0: I completely understand why this won't happen. And I, I'm again, this is just me throwing stuff out there. If I could make it happen. I would love to see them play Marcus Smart periodically. Like, let's say, hey, you only go out there one every two games, and you say, you're going to be our primary creator every single second you're on the floor, just to see how he can do with that kind of responsibility regularly. Because he's such a good player, but and, I'm, and but teams don't get to practice enough during the season. And so I think getting him those reps, and even, even against clearly inferior competition, would be a nice thing for evaluating what you want him to be long-term. Because... The Celtics have all these assets, but at a certain point, you do need to know what you what you have in the guys that you already have on roster.
1: I was a little disappointed that they didn't push Smart enough with that in the second half of the year. They did a little bit earlier in the year before they changed out the lineup to make Isaiah the starter because Smart got hurt and was out for like a month. But they would have Smart and Bradley together, and Bradley would be the secondary ball handler. They would try with Smart, and Smart would like, He would get like a couple decent pick and rolls off, and then the defense would get a good read for it, or they would force him to shoot from the outside, and that would fail. Then it all kind of unraveled, and you have to get smart uh, Bradley to take over, or they would bring in Turner or Thomas to take over. You know, at at some point, you got to just let a guy out there struggle, and then just kind of learn from struggling. You got to leave him the, you got to let him dry out a little bit. And they'll probably he'll probably be better enough that they can get away with doing that because they'll be able to kind of get through it and they'll be competent enough to do it. But I mean, obviously they're not babying him, but I felt like they protected him a little too much offensively last year, and it stunt it might hurt his growth a little bit. But at the same time. They also – Isaiah Thomas ended up having the freedom to kind of emerge as a star and make a huge improvement. And he was someone that – he added so much to his game throughout the season. He came back from the All-Star game and he had all sorts of new moves and types of shots from his game. So, I mean, one guy that you have to take away something from, it's to benefit somebody else. And it did work, and that was the right overall coaching and GMing decision by the franchise. But now you're looking at it this year and you're thinking, well, Smart's this guy that we have a huge investment in and we have a lot of hope in. And we gotta we gotta really push him to succeed because there's only so much time he has to develop as a ball handler and a point guard before we can determine whether or not he's worth paying big money in the in the free agent market.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. And I'm very intrigued because he, you know, he's still as as much as it seems like he's really he's been in the league that's so long. He's going to be eligible for an extension a year from now. Like yeah. they, they're in, they're going to be in that boat really soon as well. And. Two guys that did not get extensions last year, but are you know we'll see what, what they're part in the future is is Zell- are Zeller and Sellinger. Do you have a number in mind for either one of them about what you think they should be willing to pay for them?
1: Zeller like four million. So they <laughs> so
0: you think they shouldn't extend a qualifying offer to him then? Probably.
1: I think I think they should, and I think that's you know, maybe a little bit about the qualifying offer is what you'd do to keep them. But I would rather I would much rather have Jordan Mickey uh, who's on like. I think at this point, is on like a a less than a million or just about a million a year where pretty much the rest of his contract is non-guaranteed or team options. So Jordan Mickey, you have the ultimate control over. And I think next year, Jordan Mickey will be more valuable to this team than Tyler Zeller. So I'd say extent you can give him the qualifying offer, and then you can rescind it as soon as you're ready to. It's better to have control than not have control. But I don't see any reason why Tyler Zeller is on the roster next year. And then for Solinger, you know, Sol- I, I just wrote a column about it for Celtics blog. Jared Solinger had a, a pretty good year, and things started to go a little sour towards the end of the season because uh, he stopped fitting into the system like they wanted him to, and they kind of reverted to being more of a post player. And he was a little bit happier, but he wasn't really fitting into the team dynamic as well as he was supposed to. And then he got to the playoffs, and there, I haven't, I, I've asked a lot of people, and I haven't seen any reports of it, that he was hurt but during the playoffs he was like the worst player in the entire series and it was it was one of the biggest disasters of a playoff series for a, for a guy entering free agency that i've ever seen he was he was unable to play and they basically took him out of the rotation completely and it was a total disaster and he his value i know kevin pelton said 15 million and that was a number that everybody in town was talking about as 15 million could be the expected uh, top end of the market for him and I don't know who would pay him that after seeing how poorly things went when he went up against a really good player and Paul Millsap or or Al Horford also, and considering that he abandoned the three point shot during the second half of the season, it's you, know, you just you don't really see him progressing in the way that you want him to. So why would you off, why would you commit that much money to a guy that's underwhelming?
0: Yeah, and an, another player who having the right to match is, is a nice benefit, but I fully expect somebody to make a stupid offer to him. And yeah,
1: yeah. more power to him. I mean, Sacramento is always out there. That's how I look at it with their restricted free agents. Sacramento is always out there.
0: Yeah, and so, uh, so you just you let it play out, and you assume that he's going to be gone. And another reason why Drebko is such a nice player on this team is if Olenek can stay remotely healthy, and I think you can make an operating assumption that with one of their early picks, you know, one of their first rounders, let's say, they can take a guy who can play power forward, whether that's his natural position or not. Like I think with with three spots, it just seems likely to happen, even if they combine him. so you have Olenek, you have. Amir, if you're going to keep him around, Crowder can dance at the four if he, if you he have to, and 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 you have a Linux and Jordan Mickey. I like him more as a five than a four, but he can bounce around. Sullinger is more of a luxury guy. So if your mentality is that he's a luxury guy, especially when your picks have already been made, then it's not hard to make the right decision.
1: Exactly, and you know they they have that 16 pick and you could see guys like Henry Ellenson or Yuka Hurdle or something like that fall that far or you know Demontas Sabonis is someone that everybody really loves around here so you know if one of those guys falls to them at that pick they might decide to just pick that guy and not even not even give the qualifying offer to Solinger which wouldn't shock me at all
0: yeah this qualifying offer is so low and he's going to get he's going to get so much more money than that that you're not really even really worried about him picking it up
1: yeah, I mean it's what 4 million so there's no way in hell he's going to pick it
0: up. Exactly. So yeah, I mean the crazy example of that is that is the guy we mentioned before, Bismack Biombo. I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming part of the reason Charlotte declined his qualifying or Charlotte declined to make him a qualifying offer was they were worried he would take it. They would have been so happy in now in hindsight if he had taken it.
1: I was shocked they did that. It's so rare that you don't give a guy a qualifying offer because unless the guy is complete garbage, he's worth this qualifying offer. I mean, even Tyler Zeller, who had a, didn't really play last year, he's worth his qualifying offer at like $3.7 million. So I don't know why Charlotte didn't give it to him. I was disappointed the Celtics didn't sign him because I really felt he was a guy that was worth it. I didn't think he would be nearly as good as he's been for Toronto and the way he stepped up for Toronto, but I figured he'd be at least a pretty useful defender off the bench. Uh, and now every team in the league is going to be overpaying for guys like that, obviously.
0: Yeah, and they, I don't think they could have gotten him on a long-term deal last year. I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe if they had offered him seven, you know, like six or seventy million for three years with a non-guaranteed fourth, maybe they could have gotten him. I don't know. Considering how little he took, maybe that would have been possible. And and I it, mean, the Celtics are a great example. of That Jay Crowder, I don't understand how the hell he he took so little, but it worked out.
1: Yeah, that was. I remember where exa- exactly where I was when I found out the news. I was talking to another reporter and we were like, How did he get less than ten million? We figured he was gonna get double figures across the market. Nine would be like the lowest he would get. So the fact that the Celtics could lock him in for seven over five is pretty incredible. When you think about that fact that he's making less than the mid level exception, and he is kind of like he was like almost an all star last year. I mean it's the fact that their two best players are both making the same amount of money. And they're making, really, if you combine their salaries with Avery Bradley's, they'd be probably making what you would expect to pay one of those guys. So credit to Ainge. That's like all the contracts that he got guys to sign last offseason were just remarkable. I have no idea. He must have incredible dirt on all those guys. Uh, They must have TMZ working for them or something. I don't know how he does it, but he always gets guys somehow to commit to pay less money to play for him.
0: Well, that wouldn't be an issue if, the, if they got Julia Okafor because the debt dirt was already created in Boston.
1: <laughs> we all have that one. That's right. They'll probably hire guys on the street to start, try to beat them up just so they can uh, lower the value.
0: Would, what would you think? I mean, I, without even really discussing the asking price, what would you think about, theoretically, Boston trying to acquire Okafor? A clearly talented guy, but a guy with, certainly with flaws.
1: So that has been, like, my favorite topic of conversation for the last uh, six months or so. And I really want to hear your opinion. Okafor is such a polarizing player because, you know, growing up, Al Jefferson was my favorite player that I was at least watching in person. They're very, very similar. And they're guys that don't fit in. It's not just like, oh, they don't fit in with the modern NBA, but it's that it doesn't fit with the system that the Celtics are trying to run. They're trying to really run that Warriors-Spurs system and I just don't see how Okafor works if he isn't a really good defender. If he turns into a really good defender, then obviously you don't care whether or not he's going to be playing from 20 feet away from the basket or not on offense. But right now, they only can get away with defense if, guy, if someone like Nerland Snowell is next to him. The Celtics right now don't have that kind of guy. Obviously, they could get that kind of guy. You know, If they get Al Horford and they put Okafor next to him at the four – then while that team isn't as versatile as they want it to be and doesn't have the three-point shooting they want it to have, it at least they at least can get a ton of scoring and they can get some really good defense out of Horford. So that makes up for it. But Okafor, I just don't know how you trade the third pick in the draft for a guy that even though he was just the third pick in the draft and probably probably a little bit better talent-wise than whoever is available to, at the third pick, it's just really hard to give up that pick for a guy that you know probably won't fit into the system that you're trying to run. It's like you just – it's really hard. If I'm a GM, acquiring a guy that I don't think is going to fit into my system is like the worst thing that I feel like I could do to my team because it creates an issue for my team that doesn't need to be there. And I would rather, as the Celtics team has showed, they'd rather go with less talent but more flexibility, dynamic play, and system fit.
0: Okafor is really hard because he is very talented – Physically, like there's a lot that he should be able to do. There's a lot that he can do. And he is distinct among players, particularly of his age, but also of his size in terms of what he is able to do offensively, particularly, of course. So that is a, a very good thing. And one takeaway that you can do from the Warriors is that having guys with distinct, unique strengths is a, is a positive and you can if you can do that well Sean Livingston is a great example of this uh, albeit at a very different size both you know more more a different width than a different height but same basic idea and you can do that as long as the player is smart and being active and you know work understands their own weaknesses so that's a very big positive for him and the idea that he could not saying he will but he could get a lot better defensively so if he can become let's say passable or not terrible defensively, that could be enough to make him a real asset because there just aren't that many guys who can stop him. However, you're going to need to do two different things which are really, really, really hard. One is his best role is going to be similar to what Ennis Canner does, which is that he just demolishes second units and plays, you know, plays a little bit with starters just to get him enough minutes because he deserves those minutes. That is hard because he is then playing theoretically some minutes with another center, And Okafor can't really stretch the floor yet, and while maybe he can eventually, you don't necessarily want that for him because he's so good with his back-to-the-basket. So you have that issue. And then the, the second issue is just that while that is the ideal role for him, that is not the price you would be paying for him right now. So we talked about how Jared Sullinger is a luxury Okafor is a luxury in a different way. You know, he is. I can see him playing a very important role on a great team. Like, if you could have him, he could mess with the other team's chemistry. You know, he could be the. He could be a linchpin for second units. I would like him as a passer. But getting that piece when you don't have everything else above him is a risky proposition, especially when it's going to cost you some real assets to get him.
1: I think it's just a red flag that you're talking about trading the third pick for a guy that you're talking about as part of the second unit. Right. Like that already. Like you, you, at the third pick, you're drafting a guy that's like a, a linchpin of your starting lineup and the guy that you're relying on to close out the game for you. Not, not the guy that you're hoping is going to dominate the third quarter and then you can mix him and match him in depending on matchup with your final unit. Like that, that's, that's a red flag for me right there. I mean, I, I look at two things. I look at one, do I think he can develop a good enough mid range jumper that he can play in the Marcus Sol area? and serve as kind of like an intermediary passing guy that just keeps the ball. You give him the ball 15 feet from the rim, and you run a bunch of actions on the weak side, and he keeps the ball over his head, and he flings a pass to somebody. You know That seems like a guy that can really work with pretty much any offense, especially if you put more shooting around him. And then the other thing is I think about DeMarcus Cousins and the fact that I don't think DeMarcus Cousins was that good a defender for a while. I think he's definitely getting there, but it took him a while to be an, effect, a, a, an effective defender and really give a crap about defense. And he jacks up a ton of outside shots and he misses like 70% of them. So you can still be a real, a guy that people look at as a great player with that type of game. And Jaleel Okafor seems like someone that's going to continue to improve significantly. It's really just a matter of can you bring him into a situation where the pieces are already in place and then develop him in the system that already works for him. The Celtics probably can't do that at least by draft night, right? More you can do that in free agency. So they could be in an interesting conundrum there where they make the draft pick, they take a guy that they think the Sixers might be interested in trading for, and then in free agency, they try to put the pieces in place to get, uh, to kind of make it set up so that you could trade for Okafor. Because obviously, Angel Colangelo can agree that they'll agree to trade whoever they draft for Okafor and then just execute the trade after free agency. That's obviously something that doesn't really happen. And it's pretty rare, but it's something that they can do.
0: Yeah, and it's actually more workable to do when those pieces are largely going to be those pieces either way, if it happens to be the same person that that they both want. And Boston deserves a lot of credit, and this goes to Stevens and a lot of other people as well, the personnel on the team, is that they've had a a strong defense, and the only guy they have that I trust as a room protector is Amir. And Amir plays minutes, but he doesn't, you know, it's not like he plays 35 a game, and so you can just say, oh, well, that's because they have Amir Johnson. So that is a very good thing when you can do that with your offense and when you do that with your defense and and the Celtics have length and they have intelligence on the perimeter which is very important and can help sustain it. The other team that does this is Charlotte with Steve Clifford. They've been able to do it without a, without a big man. That's the very good thing. But the bad thing is that is always a dangerous proposition to say to when you when you're giving up the assets to make this a, that you're going to build around it because basically what you're saying is. Defensively, we're going to work in spite of you, and you play the most important position on the floor defensively.
1: Yeah, how do you? I mean, how do you get through that? It's like the Warriors—they rely on. I mean, sorry to keep comparing it to the Warriors, but like that's clearly the model that the Celtics are going for. They have their best defender at the four spot, but they also have like a, an incredible presence in Andrew Bogut or Festus Ezeli, who's made huge strides this year at the five. So, like that's part of what makes it work. And obviously, they go to the death lineup, and they're able to switch everything. And the Celtics, at least one through four, can switch everything, especially when they go to their coma lineup, which is like their you know, where they have Jay Crowder at the four or sometimes even the five, and they've got Brown a lot of the times Evan Turner out there, Jarebko out there, they can switch pretty much everything. And that's like kind of like that huge philosophical tenet that they want to that they really want to build upon in the future. And if you if you bring if you bring in Okafor there, it's hard to imagine Okafor being able to switch onto threes that are good ball handlers. But obviously, I I haven't talked to Oka, I talked to him twice, and I haven't gotten much of a read on him. And obviously, a two minute conversation isn't really enough to get a read on a guy's development path. But like, I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's a guy that's clearly going to learn how to be able to pick up twos and threes on a pick and roll switch in the future.
0: It would be surprising, but possible. Players can players never can say surprise. never. Exactly, players can surprise in that way. I mean, Bogut. Is it has shown more agility and and kind of smarts in handling that and intelligence is an underrated part of defense. Just the the level that you can do with that and like you see a lot of the best defenders can stay strong even after they lose a step. Iguodala, Tony Allen, those are perimeter guys, but the same logic applies to bigs.
1: Oh, and I mean that's why Clay Thompson is pretty much the best defender in the NBA right now. And, and sorry if anyone disagrees with that, but I I just wrote about it for the Athletic and. I, I'm watching him playing defense in the in the playoffs, and I'm thinking this guy is the best perimeter defense that's playing right now. I mean, it's it's incredible what he's doing because he is so smart. Every single time a guy makes a move, he's moving at the exact same second that person's moving, and they just can't get around him. He's swallowing everybody up.
0: And he has the right kind of set of physical attributes to do a nice job on on players because he's he's big for two, so he can defend twos, and and then he can stick with ones reasonably well. And the Warriors don't need to ask him to do the same things that some other guys do. Like, he doesn't lock a guy like Kawhi does, but he doesn't have to. And that's something that, that I think is going to be a difference between that the Warriors, which we brought up as an example in the, in the Celtics, is that we're seeing it in the Thunder series that when they have Curry on Westbrook, even though Clay is a better defender on Westbrook, they Curry at points, because Roberson is in the game, they can, He can just kind of, sometimes he can let Westbrook go, and they have these other guys to stop it. But if you have Jaleel Oakford back there, unless he improves a whole heck of a lot defensively, that doesn't mean the same thing as having Draymond Green or Andrew Boat there.
1: Yeah, and like, I mean, the Celtics, they right now on the roster have a lot of guys that are really good at kind of rotating in and going straight up and not committing a foul and defending the shot. But they don't have anybody that can actually stop someone like Russell Westbrook when he gets to the rim. And that's the huge difference that while they were, While they were one of the best defenses in the league during the regular season, when they get to the playoffs and you have Paul Millsap coming at you or Al Horford coming at you, it doesn't quite work.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited with the Celtics team long-term because what, what makes them different than almost everybody, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast, is that they were very good this year as a regular season team. And, of course, what happened in the playoffs happened in the playoffs. But it's easy to see them being better next year. You know, a lot of the other teams that are, you know, in this, verify error of you know like around the 10 best teams in the league or you know in the, in that vicinity they're going to have hard choices to make and of course the Celtics will have difficult choices but it is they are arguably the easiest team in that group to say they're going to be they're going to be better next year than they were this year
1: I mean the Celtics what makes us such a luxury is that their hard decisions aren't about trying to deal with what they have it's about who do they add to try to make them way better as opposed to just better. You know, they they fell one spot short of getting one of those golden tickets at the top two of the draft that would basically give them the currency they need to build like a title contender right away, but they still can do it. I mean, they still have the cap space, and they still have a really valuable draft pick and a bunch of really tradable guys that they still can put themselves at least as a favorite to make the conference finals because I don't know how anybody's getting by Cleveland in the Eastern Conference with the way they're playing right now, but... I mean, the Celtics are one of the very few teams in the league that their only task next year is to add to a team that already looks really good. And like I said before, is a team that if every single player besides, or actually including Isaiah Thomas, if, so if every single player on their team wasn't injured or even out for that series, they probably would have beaten the. I think they probably would have beaten the Hawks, or they at, at least would have been way closer than it was. So they're in, they are in phenomenal position. They're they're in a better position to improve improve than pretty much any other team in the NBA right now.
0: So we'll kinda of end this section on on a question I actually asked of the Portland of the Portland writers when I did a QA for them for the Athletic, which is I'm gonna limit it to realistic guys, and you can define that how you want, but you know what I mean by that. What signing would you want the most for the Celtics?
1: Ooh, man. You know, I love Al Horford. And I th- we talked about it a lot about why he is such a great fit for this team, but he's also turning past thirty, and signing a free agent when he's turning past thirty very rarely actually works out for that team. So just looking at a, I mean, just looking at a guy that I feel like they really badly want to add to their roster, I think Jared Dudley would be ideal. He would be a bench player for them, but he would give them a really reliable three and D guy. And I mean, Jay Crowder is obviously that guy, but he's like a feature player. So having that guy on the bench that you know you can just bring him in there to guard whomever you really need to guard from a wing on the opposing team and then will be a reliable three-point shooter. They just – they basically the thing that made them not that great of a team last uh, this season was that they just can't shoot the three ball. They really can't shoot. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA, and they take more threes than just about anybody in the NBA. So they need – to get three-point shooters in here immediately, that's without question the biggest need. And they don't have to get a superstar that can shoot the three. They just need to get a bunch of guys that can't hit the three. So Dudley makes a lot of sense. Chandler Parsons is a really, really fascinating one. Uh, it's not set in stone whether or not he's going to pick up his player option. But he's going to be the, the same age as Thomas, as Crowder, and he could definitely play next to Jay Crowder. And I, I really I wouldn't be surprised if they go with the same route that Toronto just did last offseason, signing Damari Carroll, who's a really similar play, player to Crowder, where they set up their starting lineup to have Crowder as the four and putting whomever, whether it's Olinick or whomever, at the five. I think that would be a pretty good idea. And I, I think that you look at Parsons, he gives some ball handling. He gives the shooting. There's been a lot of inconsistency there, but he gives them kind of the athleticism and shooting and ball handling that they really need. But obviously the knee injuries are a pretty big concern. And he's got a lot of similarities to Evan Turner, but he actually can hit the shot, which is kind of like the one, just the one major flaw in Turner's game that makes you kind of ready to replace Turner with another player. Although, of course, Turner was really good defensively this year and didn't get a lot of attention for it, but he had a great defensive season. And shooting is really the only flaw, kind of noticeable on his game right now, so I'd say Parsons, Horford, Dudley are like kind of the best realistic targets, and then I guess Whiteside would make a lot of sense. But they got they got to get a more offense around them, really.
0: I think there's a very real chance that the the Celtics put in an offer sheet for Azili. I think that he fits yeah. a lot of a lot of the a lot of the boxes that they want he 's less offensively capable, but just to have as a guy on your roster let 's say you 're giving him twenty to twenty five minutes a game. they could use him a lot of different ways and he 's at the price at the price that I think he 's going to get, I think he 'll be a worthwhile a worthwhile investment in that way, of course, the Warriors might match it, but that would be an interesting offer. Part of what why I like the Celtics team is that I don't really have that player for them. I, I can see the logic of Horford I can see the logic of Hassan Whiteside, but I don't think they have to do that. I think that they could they could wait they could you know do something like that if they want and th- the best thing for them realistically might be to find the next Amir Johnson, whoever that ends up being you know we don't know right now like people have asked me that before like when I'm doing these sporting news previews and I have a Celtics one that will come out soon is I, I'm not identifying specific players. And the reason why is because we don't know who's going to take a b- below-market contract or who's going whether that be below-market in years or dollars. So I can't say, hey, you should sign Jeremy Lin to this contract because we don't know who's going to be that Jeremy Lin.
1: I mean, like, the only guy out there that I think, even regardless of injury, is, like, a clearly, like, can't-miss guy for them to attack on the market, and not including Andre Drummond because I think it's set in stone that he's getting maxed out by Detroit – is Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal from a skill set just from his skills and considering that he's 22 years old right now, he's a guy that you obviously want to chase. If, if I'm the Celtics, I would offer him the max, but the question is are the Wizards going to match that?
0: Yeah, and the short the shorter moratorium with it being 5 days as opposed to being what was going to be like 2 weeks, the big benefit of that for a team like Boston is if they strike out early, they can offer Beal three plus one, you know, three years and the player option, and yeah, it burns a couple of days. But by that point, the guys at the top, who are the ones that we should that they should be really focusing on, do that. And if for whatever reason you start to see guys be interested in taking, you know, taking a shorter deal to do a make good for 2017. The Celtics could always come to a contingency deal with a guy like that, especially if they're going to offer a fair amount of money like they did with Amir. You know, Offer them maybe more money than somebody else would offer for a single year, and then if, if and when this, the Wizards match on Beale, you do that. And why I like Boston for restricted free agents is that really what you're looking for for them is, of course, the first priority is money, and so you want to get the best deal you can, so that can lead you to the Sacramento's of the world. That's totally fine. If that is not an issue, like for Bradley Beal, who can get that 3-plus-1 max offer for anybody, what you want to find is the team that you would be most happy with if, for whatever reason, your squad didn't match. And Boston is a great fit for a lot of those guys. They're a great fit for him, for Beal. They're a great fit in that way for Harrison Barnes. They're a great fit for Azili. And so if they can come to a number and the Celtics are in the ballpark, if I were restricted free agent, they're the team I would be signing my qualifying my offer sheet with. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I agree with that, sure. And by the way, to clarify, you you think the Wizards definitely would match a max offer for Beal?
0: I wouldn't say it's definite, but I would say it's prohibitively likely because they just—it's the same issue, actually, incidentally, that the Warriors have with Harrison Barnes, which is that they losing them doesn't give them the ability to replace him because when you have a guy who's on a rookie contract. They have this really low cap hold and you can spend all this other money they only clear like I think it's like 10 million 10 to 12 million if they decline if they decline to match on Beale that's not mm-hmm. enough to get anything done you know like yeah. you're, you're not going to be getting even close to a starter and the wizards and also you think about the timeline of it so if if it takes let's say let's say that that decision is made on the ninth day of free agency at that point, that 10 million dollars they saved is even less valuable than it was on July 1st. So, yeah, there's a possibility. He's had some injury things, and if somebody great, you know, if they get somebody great to say yes and Beal isn't necessarily important to that or whatever, then, yeah, there, there's a possibility with it. But I would say it's, that, that's, the, the way that that happens is so unlikely that we have to acknowledge it but say that it's not going to happen.
1: And I mean, hey, Boston does it thinking, hey, what if Kevin Durant for some reason wants to sign with Washington this offseason, then maybe Beale will not get matched. It's it's like what the hell might as well try it, right? Exactly.
0: And that's why the the that's what the attitude for restricted free agents pretty much has to be this year is the idea of why not? And for a couple of guys and somebody else who I've thought of for Boston, not but the problem the difference between him and Chandler Parsons is a size issue is Fournier. Fournier is a, a very talented guy. I like him. He's somebody who can do some, who can initiate some at guarding twos and dabbling a little bit in threes, which is great for Boston, especially if Marcus Smart doesn't become what we, what we all hope he's, he could be. The problem is he doesn't have the three-four versatility that Chandler Parsons does. The difference is, uh, beyond the fact, that the other difference is that Chandler Parsons is unrestricted and has an injury history, and Fournier doesn't really is that he is a player who I think it's theoretically possible that you can make an offer that Orlando wouldn't want to match, especially if they're spending a lot of their other cap space aggressively, which I know they want to do, but whether they actually get guys to say yes is a different thing. So, you know, if some of the other guys strike out, Fournier is another one of those restricted free agents that you could make an offer sheet on.
1: So there's two reasons why I didn't mention Fournier. One, I have a lot of contract year fears on him. I mean, he was a guy, and he was a guy that just kind of got bounced around unfairly. I, I think he kind of, kind of got the Kent Bazemore treatment for a while, where he was getting severely undervalued, um, and was mostly just known for his bench celebrations. And he was, he shot lights out this year, for or at least for a lot of the year. But I have real concerns about a post-contract hangover with him, and I would be a little, I, I would dig a little deeper if I'm a team looking to sign him, just to figure out if if I have to worry about a Ben Gordon type situation with him. And then the other reason would just be that if the Celtics add him to this team, he's never really going to be guarding a two. The Celtics will almost always have, at least the way they are right now, they're going to have either Smart or Bradley covering a two in most lineups. So he has to cover a three or a four. And I just don't really see him doing that, like you said.
0: Yeah, I think that, the chances of that are low. You know, it's just the idea of basically being like a value play with with some of their money. Is is more the logic yeah. of it than like he's a great fit or anything like that and depending on what they do if they keep the three pick, they could be getting the guy that will fill that role, which like Jamal Murray, like the same reasons that I advocated for him 48, the same reasons I advocate for Jamal Murray. So if they take him third, then that resolves the whole issue. Or let's say they take him fifth or sixth or whatever if they get somebody, you know, if they trade down. And trading down, I think, is realistic for Boston depending on what's out there. But, of course, it all depends on things that we don't know. But that's that's what makes this so fun.
1: I mean, they're going to do some pick consolidation because they have more draft picks than they could ever imagine just this year. So, you know, and they have that extremely valuable first pick of the second round. Where I feel like that's where they're hoping to get some guy like Fawn Maker or something like that that they can stash for the rest of eternity and hope that in his late twenties he's ready to be an NBA player. But they're they're going to probably consolidate picks, and it'll be really interesting to see if they do that by moving down and pick up a really you know a good veteran player or a pick next year.
0: I will say this: Thon Maker will not be available at thirty-one. I, in my opinion, um, I, I actually I, was, I actually saw him play high school basketball in person.
1: Really? You yeah. are a lucky man.
0: Well, so he uh, he played... There's Prolific Prep is in Napa, California, which is close to where I live, and I was there to see Josh Jackson and DeAndre Ayton was there, actually, as well, and Maker was in one of the earlier games, and he is fascinating because I think that he will end up... People have compared him to a, a million different people over the years, to, to Durant and all that. The player that he reminds me the most of is a less talented Lamar Odom.
1: Yes. Meaning oh, a guy,
0: you. a guy who wants to be that two or three guard, but is still big. But what I like about him, what I liked in that in the game I saw, and I've watched him on film a little bit already, is he gen- generally he's playing hard now. And if you can get him to do kind of if you can get him to do his bare minimum and play hard for f- ten to fifteen minutes a game, that's a nice thing to have. And if you could ever like, let's say Brad Stevens. I actually really like, theoretically, if he, if he were available at 23, I think that would be a nice pick for Boston as well. Get somebody like Brad Stevens and their development staff to coach him up. I think that he could be a, a really nice fit for them two to three years from now. And I actually would push for him in the at the late first round. This is the same logic that I used, which wouldn't have been as good as it turns out on Christian Wood, which is that having them on a four-year contract where the last two years are non-guaranteed means that you get a little bit of leverage on them in terms of that but also you get them super cheap for four years and then get restricted rights on them. Yeah so if he's available at 23, I think that the idea of let's say in 2018 of him and Jordan Mickey being at the bare minimum the second unit front court for the Celtics, but maybe even potential to be more than that would be fantastic.
1: So I agree I really would I really think a good move for them would be to and obviously if he can get that 23 and use it to make a really great trade, then obviously do it. But there are so many guys in this draft that just have, like, need to be stashed, but have huge upside. Maker's obviously my favorite, and I'm obsessed with his YouTube videos. Not, like, the, the mixtape that he's not proud of, but actually seeing some YouTube videos out there of his actual games. I mean, I just absolutely love watching the guy. Although he did average 0.8 assists a game last year. But, but, there's he, can, also, but he can pass. Yeah, he can. And he can run the floor. And I like the Odom comparison better than Kupo as well. Um, but there's, like, there's Zhou Chi. Who plays for Xinjiang in China? Who has a nine foot five standing reach and actually has like a pretty solid eighteen foot jump shot? He's a really interesting guy. Who knows if he could be some sort of spot up guy in the future? And then you, know, you also you have Furkan Kormaz. He's another one that he's he's less than he's not even nineteen yet I think, and he's gonna need like four years at least like three years over in Europe, kind of like Dario Saric. But he's he's a well built athlete. That's a good ball handler. He's the kind of guy that you can bring him in. over. You can bring him back from overseas, and he's like 22. And, you know, a lot of teams that are really smart while they're developing a franchise team or developing, like, a championship team, they draft and stash a guy over in Europe, like, four years earlier. And then right when their, like, players that were part of their contending team were starting to get a little old, you bring him in, he's like a fresh face, kind of like how Nikola Mirotic did for Chicago, Last year obviously hasn't worked out nearly as well this year. But like he was so key to like Chicago hanging on for an extra year, even though they were getting really old. And that's always an ingredient for success. Patty Mills has done it for San Antonio. He was huge for San Antonio transitioning forward, especially because they lost Corey Joseph. I mean, getting if you're able to get a guy you think has like major potential to be a contributor four years from now at 23, the Celtics have enough depth and have enough really good young players from the last couple of drafts. That they could definitely take a guy like Cormaz or Chi or Thon Maker or maybe like Chick Dollar or something like that at that 23 spot and not really be worried about the fact that they're wasting an asset.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely exciting, and I think that's a good note to end it on. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Jared Weiss for coming on. You can read him at CLNS Radio, which is clnsradio.com, and at Celtics Blog. And you can also listen to him. He is the host of the Garden Report postgame show and the WEEI Celtics podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter. Good follow on Twitter. C-L-N-S underscore Jared Weiss. That's C-L-N-S underscore J-A-R-E-D W-E-I-S-S. And it's so much fun for me to do these team specific ones, especially it's been, you know, quality time, hour 15 or whatever this ended up being with, with Jared, because... Boston has a lot of different avenues. I think they're going to be competitive with all of them, and it's hard to know exactly what they're going to do. But when you have the underlying foundation that they do with Ainge and with the picks and with Brad Stevens, of course, then it should work out, but you just don't really know which which way they're going to go, and a lot of that is opportunity dependent and you know as as we talked about very early on in terms of the cousins and the hardens of the world, you know those there aren't that many players that I think are worth really going all in for right now. But that will change, and that's also why free agency is such a large part of this for them, because it's the best avenue to get the next, you know, to get to get the real superstar-type guys, because the superstar-type guys in trades just don't come around very often, and you have to have exactly the right assets. Of course, the Celtics have done that before. They're one of the few teams that has acquired a legitimate game-changer through a trade, so all credit to them for that. And... I will be mixing these in with playoff analysis. Of course, we'll do something related to the NBA Finals once we know what the matchup is, but also there are other teams that I want to do, and your feedback is much appreciated. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Daniel D N N Y L E R O U X, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or email Danny NBA at gmail.com. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can, sometimes much later, but I do appreciate it, and you know, it, it is nice to... Whether it's just praise or whether it's substantive criticism, whatever. I I really do appreciate it. And also, if you want to read my work, you can read it. I have a piece actually at Real GM that was about the lottery, which came out since the last one of these. I also, of course, write for the Sporting News and for The Athletic, where a lot of my Warriors content is going right now, and we're doing a lot of fun stuff. Jared has actually been nice enough to participate not only in the Q&As that we're doing with people that I know and like around the league, but also contributing original content as well. So getting people with more of a, let's say, a national perspective talking about the Warriors. So hopefully you enjoyed those things as well, but you enjoy this. And if you enjoy this or the Dunked On podcast, which I do so often, please leave a review. And in an iTunes writing, those do really help us as we move forward and get other people connected with the show. And while I openly admit that both the show and Dunked On are not for everybody, it is much appreciated if you can connect it. Because as strange as it is within our world where it seems seems like everybody's connected, it can sometimes you stumble onto things. You know, you stumble onto a podcast that you like or a blog that you like. And so I consider it a part of our experience in this to share the things that you think are the best and if that's us that's great if it's not somebody else then doing that because you never you never know how somebody's going to connect with it and you know we have this funny thing I cracked up when somebody just found Nate and I on Twitter and it's like you know I I, and they apparently listen to Dunked On so you never know where those little gaps are with people so wherever it is I hope that you can help other people fix it and I will do my best to share the things that I like the most so that you can enjoy them as well so Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now, Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great
1: benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's, it's just better.